The following podcast is a presentation of Project Entertainment Network. Welcome to the Sample Chapter Podcast, the show where authors read a sample chapter from one of their books. Here's your host, Jason A. Meiske. Hello, my friends. Welcome to episode 131 of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Today we are visiting with a very fun author from Bedfordshire, England, Callie Bird. And we'll be talking about her novel, The Tales of the Countess, which readers have likened to Sex and the City meets Toy Story. <laughs> which, oh my goodness, I cannot wait to show you how that how that comes about. It's a delightful romp of an interview and a story with a very lovely author who you are sure to enjoy. That interview is coming in just a few minutes, but first, make sure you're following the show on all our social media. We are on Facebook and Twitter as just the Sample Chapter Podcast. You can email the show at samplechapterpodcast at gmail.com if you'd like to reach out to me. Maybe you have an author recommendation. Maybe you are an author who... And you'd like to come on the show and read a sample chapter, then reach out to me that way. You can also call the show and leave a voicemail or text message at 660-851-1146. I hope that by now you have taken the time to click that subscribe button on your favorite podcast player, as we're now available on all podcast platforms, including YouTube. And be sure to leave me a star rating or a review if you are enjoying the show even better yet, if you are enjoying a particular episode with an author or or new book, then make sure you are sharing that episode with friends. You know, tell the world about this this new story or new author that you heard about. And if you tag us on that post, I'll make sure and give you a shout out right back. <laughs> either either on social media or perhaps even on the next episode. So I like doing that. It's a lot of fun whenever that happens. Also, I want to take a moment and just thank everybody for answering the call last week. I, uh, you know, the month got away from me and I kind of found out a little bit late about the 2020 Podcast Awards, but oh my goodness, you all are incredible. The response was amazing and and incredibly humbling. I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, my request for, for you all to uh, go on and vote was answered big time and I... I I have no idea how many people actually voted, but I do know how many people, I do know how many times the post was shared and liked and shared again, and it it just, oh my gosh, I'm so humbled. You guys are incredible. You know, I have listeners all over the world, and it just humbles me that that you're enjoying the show and that, that you guys are doing what you can to help grow this show so that we can find more authors and share their works and I have no idea (laughs) how things turned out with the awards yet I won't know anything until August 8th but uh, you know as soon as I find out something if I find out whether we're on to the next round or you know made the list of shows I I don't know what to expect next but uh, as soon as I find out around August 8th I'll make sure and share it on social media and uh, of course on the next episode and uh Again, thank you, thank you, thank you. My listeners are the best people in the world, and uh, thank you very much. 
Well, while I'm saying thank you, let's let's go ahead and thank our sponsors, starting with U-Storeall out of Warrensburg, Missouri. They are the premier self-storage facility in the Warrensburg area with two locations, both of them fenced in and fully secured with gated access, and you'll have your own private gate code, more than 60 cameras recording 24 hours a day, and solar panels powering both facilities. They have climate control and non-climate control, so they have a unit to fit your needs when you're moving or just needing to store some goods. Check them out online at ustoreall.net. That is spelled the letter U-S-T-O-R-A-L-L dot net. My writing here of late has been on fire. I have been writing and editing more and more. As I said last week, uh, I've been editing in the morning, or I've been, yeah, I've been editing in the morning because that's when I have more time, and then doing some free writing at lunch or in the evenings when I'm sitting at home, and it seems to be working really well right now. I've really caught, really found my groove and uh, moving right along, so we'll see what happens. Hopefully, I'll have my next book out, but I'm writing all of this on Scrivener. I do all of my writing on Scrivener, and I'm able to do all of this because of my next sponsor, Scrivener, my favorite writing software. Hey, you know, if you have just an idea and you're not sure what to do with it yet, you, you maybe you got a bunch of uh, characters and scenes, this allows you to break it all down into those little bits. You can move the pieces around freely. So if you realize there's a chapter that no longer fits in chapter 9, it needs to move to chapter 20, you can do that using Scrivener. Hey, check out this advertisement for the software and make sure you're listening in particular for that coupon code to save yourself 20% on the regular desktop version. Jason here. Hey, I wanted to take a moment and tell you about my favorite writing tool, Scrivener. Now, I know you've heard about Scrivener because their writing software has been embraced by hundreds of thousands of other writers like you and I, from the novice to best-selling novelists. The reason we all use it is because of Scrivener's core concept to bring all the writing tools you use together in a single application. Now, with tools like automatic backup, character maps, project goals, and let's not forget that amazing corkboard, you can see why I use Scrivener every day. As a bonus for Sample Chapter Podcast listeners, use code CHAPTER for 20% off your desktop version. Scrivener Writing Software, built by writers for writers. Yes, indeed. Thank you so much to Scrivener. And next, uh, let me say thank you to my first podcast network that we are a part of, which is Pop Goes the Culture Network, based out of Springfield, Missouri, their network is full of pop culture, uh, news, geek news, nerd stuff, games, movies, uh, wrestling, everything pop culture related. It is available. There's a show for it right there in popculturculture.com. So click that link in the show notes to find the list and uh, find your next favorite show for all your pop culture news. And I also want to thank Project Entertainment Network my latest network that we have joined back in the spring, and uh, we're having a great time with these guys. With about 35 different shows on the network, you are sure to find something to tickle your fancy, whatever that may be. Hey, check out this advertisement for one of those 35 shows that we're very happy to be a part of. This is Jim Adams from Monster Attack. 
Hey, if you remember that monster movie from your childhood that got it all started for you, the one that really got you interested in monster movies, horror movies, sci-fis, and cult films, then you're going to want to listen every week to Monster Attack. We look at some of our favorite monster movies from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. With new episodes uploaded every Monday, it's Monster Attack exclusively on the Project Entertainment Network. All right, that's a fun show. I love listening to all of the shows on both our networks. But uh, make sure you're clicking the link in the show notes to find out more about each and every one of them. Well, without further ado, let's hop on over to our interview with the wonderful and lovely Callie Bird. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to another episode of the Sample Chapter Podcast. Today, we are hopping across the pond, as they say. It's my first trip back to England in some time, so this is very exciting for me to uh, to get to introduce you to my guest, Callie Bird. As a life coach, she helps people find the time and courage to be creative alongside the other things that you have to do in life. And today, we're talking to her about her debut novel, about the need to find happiness in yourself before you get your man. Callie, welcome to the show. Hello there. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you're here. It's, and uh, this is exciting to get to branch out and uh, and have an author like yourself. So how are you doing? Are you staying healthy and staying well? I am. Yes, so far we're all okay. We're, we're coming out of lockdown. Everyone's still working at home. I do my day job from home. Um, but the hairdressers opened up two or three weeks ago. So that was good. <laughs> Everyone, that was like the biggest news of that at last. I can get a haircut. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah, when shops start to open, face masks are mandatory sort of everywhere shops in your in enclosed spaces as of today. Um, so yeah, it's the new normal. Yes, I, I think so. I think so. We have a mandatory mask order in this area and it's only supposed to be, it's been for about a month now. It's supposed to expire soon, but I have a feeling they're going to extend it. Yeah, I can't see things changing in the short term. We've just <laughs> got to get used to it, haven't we? You know? Exactly, exactly. And it's funny because my mother is a hairdresser and she's she's well past retirement age. and We've been pushing her for to retire for some time. So the break was was nice for her to kind of experience what it's like to be home. And she's been bombarded by phone calls when it when we opened up for a little while and she's like, I don't know if I want to go back to work. That's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of people <laughs> counting on me, but I kinda like staying home now. <laughs> oh, well that's nice. That's maybe a nice, you know, nice way to get into retirement. Yes, yes. It, it was much, much uh, more peaceful than she was uh, anticipating. So <laughs> So now, uh, now you have your author website, obviously, but then for a while you've been running the Gentle Creative. Tell us about this. Okay, so um, yeah, a while ago, I, I I don't have a life coaching business now, but I used to have, um, and I'm someone who's quite sensitive, and I love writing about creativity. I've come through. I don't know if you heard of Julia Cameron, the artist way, sort of that that way into creativity I love Elizabeth Gilbert big magic mm. um but I'm fine I'm someone who has to do things in a little and often way so it would be great I'm sure we'd all love we can if we could all give up our day jobs and just live off our writing or just do artistic stuff that would be mm. fantastic mm-hmm. but you know for most people it's not realistic so 
So we have to do the job or we have to look after our family. My parents are older now, so I've had a lot more responsibility there in terms of just supporting them. So I say, you know, don't let that stop you being creative. Just just fit your creativity round those things. You know, you can write for 15, 20 minutes a day. If you knew, you know, two, 300 words a day, you've got a draft of a novel in, in a year. You know, mm. so I really sort of just nudge people around the things that could stop us. And, you know, and initially it's not about being published or having your music on the radio. I mean, that's great. And, you know, and, and now I've reached that stage. It is fantastic. But it, I, it's really about just getting out there and, and being creative and doing it how you can and getting the rest that you need. I, I find at the moment in the pandemic, I'm getting, I get so tired. I think there's just a lot going on emotionally. So I need more rest. So, you know, I used to write on Sundays. Now I need to rest more and, and I need to accept that and just do it in a way in a gentle way that works and then actually then I find I'm more resilient and over time you know my efforts have, have built up to something you know much more substantial mm -hmm. yeah and you know and there's so much truth to that because as somebody who wants to be creative once you take a moment you look at the time in your life it's it's easy to see like you know actually I could fit this in here and take a little bit of time for myself and do I really need to watch the DVR and how many shows I have recorded uh, when, I, when I could skip one episode and do my creative venture or uh, play a video game or something else you know there's there's we can always make a few minutes away yeah and that's what's about and it is surprising I mean I can write 500 words in you know 15 20 minutes just as a first draft they might not be carefully crafted but in just getting stuff on the page whether that's handwritten or whether that's on my laptop you know and and that it that doesn't take that long but it feels good to have done it even if then you have to go about the other things in your day which you have to do you know like your work and family responsibilities but it's really wonderful to get those small amounts done regularly um, yes and I think it helps get through fear as well you don't have to be scared you know there's nothing scary about writing for 20 minutes it's, it's really doable you know um, <laughs> so it's not like oh my god I've got to do this and give up my job and how am I going to make money and how, you know you just forget that just just do it in little I call it pockets of time just find those pockets of time around what you have to do and that might mean you know it might mean that yeah you you watch a couple less episodes of the latest Netflix or something you know you do have to mm -hmm. sometimes be a little bit disciplined you have to you have to put your phone down and stop scrolling aimlessly through Instagram <laughs> or something you know and you think of that think of the time you can burn there where you could have done something or you could have sketched something or you I had a client once who used to, he was a musician and he used to just sort of write two or three bars at a time, you know, between clients, he had his guitar in his car um, and and just used to do, you know, a few licks in, in between meetings or something, you know? <laughs> so, you know, anything's possible if you want to. Yes, yes. Yeah, and, you know, with the uh, computers and the internet being what it is, I'm now able to even, even at work, I can take a few minutes during a lunch break and pull it up on my phone and, and do a little bit of writing or, or reading just depends on where my mood is at that time. And it's, yeah. it's, it's that wonderful feeling you get of uh, being productive and yet I'm not wearing myself out. Yes. And that's the thing, because it is easy to wear yourself out. And I'm someone who does have that tendency. So I've had to learn the hard way. Just, you know, just be gentle, get enough rest, put back in. I'm reading more at the moment, actually. And I think, again, it's sort of escapism from everything. But it's also a way of, of just being putting nice things into my brain rather than forcing lots of things out of it. <laughs>
Now, how about whenever it comes to authors and you're helping them find that time and the courage to, to do the writing. Now, what about when the book is, you know, nearing finish and it's time to share that with others or to actually hit that publish button? How, how do they get past that, that fear? Well, I think, you know, it comes a point you kind of do have to do it. In terms of sharing with others, I mean, you know, sometimes it's good to have beta readers for our work before we go totally public. And then I think it's about finding, I think it's about asking for the kind of feedback that you want. You, you want to find people who are kind, you know, don't give it to the person who, who prides themselves on their blunt truth. <laughs> you know, mm. that, that's not a good first reader for your, for your work. Um, and then, I mean, Elizabeth Gilbert has a good tip for this, which which helped me when I was finally putting the Countess into the world, that we tend to think of our work as our baby. You know, we might spend months or years on it um, and we're really emotionally attached to it. Um, and so if somebody reads it or criticizes it, we you know it's, it's like you know you'd never call someone's baby ugly would you you know but it feels like that if, if you're getting if you're getting bad feedback so I, I, it is about just making that emotional distance um and I it was the countess I actually started writing it 20 years ago and I worked on it for years and I, I was learning about writing as I went and then I put it aside for about nine years and actually that really helped me because when I picked it back up I think I did have a bit more emotional distance then so it was less my baby and more of what I need to do to get this out there. So that, that, that did help. But, but yeah, it is still, it is still nerve wracking, you know, when there's people I work with who have read it and you think, Oh my God, they're going to know about my life. <laughs> so even though it's fiction, you know, there's a lot of yourself in there. So, right. but, but it is worth it. Now on the other side of this, you know, it is so fantastic having it out there at long last. I do recommend it. It's so amazing to me, being somebody on the other side, I've got the one book out now and that relief it was to have that book done and then to talk with other authors like I get to do every week and to hear the same story and, and the, um, the camaraderie of so many other authors who, like myself, worked on that first book for years and years and years, had to leave it for a while, came back to it, and it was just... <sighs> such a relief to be able to, you know, we're, we're comparing ourselves to well-published authors uh, who yeah. are very well-established. And yet here's, you know, we all had a starting point and well, it's nice to have that camaraderie. Yeah. And I think as writers, we are actually some of our own worst enemy on that because, mm. because we, because we, I mean, I was very naive when I started writing. You think, cause you can write, you know, I know English, I do grammar. I, taken exams at school yeah I can write um <laughs> but actually it was many years before I realized what it took to to write a novel and to build a story you know it was several years in when I realized I don't know how to do this <laughs> you know? and I think I think as writers because you know we would never sort of have a few piano lessons and say right Carnegie Hall here we come you know <laughs> but, <laughs> but as writers we do want that don't we start writing and we're like we want to be bestsellers we want to be in Barnes and Noble or Waterstones in the UK or or you know number one on Amazon and and I think we are actually our own worst enemy there in our expectations but then but then we learn the hard way and then we learn it's a craft and it just takes longer and um and that we'll get there eventually but it takes a lot of practice and you know perhaps a, a few failures along the way or some disappointments but in keeping going you you do reach a point where I think you get over the hump with it and it's like oh this isn't so bad now 
<laughs> so this uh, this first novel, Tales of the Countess, uh, romantic comedy that has been likened to Sex in the City meets Toy Story, which is quite the hook. Oh my goodness, where did this idea come from? Okay, so the back, uh, sorry, the book contains handbags that talk. So long before I started writing, I had these different handbags, fake fur ones, some quite sort of swish kind of thing the Queen might carry, that style of handbag. And um, and I always, um, I always wondered, I must have a crazy brain, but even before I started writing, I always wondered, when, when I get a new one in, it's my new favourite, I always used to wonder, well, I wonder if the others are jealous. Or, you know, <laughs> what, what do they do? You know, I imagine, like in Toy Story, like the toys have their own life. Yeah. You know, there's, there's Andy's bedroom and the toys do their own thing and they got their own pecking order. And, and I kind of imagined, well, what goes on in my bedroom when I'm not there and I've got a teddy that sits on my pillow and the bags. And I think, oh, well, you know, what's the pecking order here? <laughs> so, so even before I started writing, I kind of, you know, I, I thought about this. And then when I started writing, it was you know, 1999 when I first started writing and I was doing sort of creativity exercises and stuff. And I come to realize like there's there's a story in these bags and, and the Countess, um, it, that was an alter ego. I used to call myself the Countess at Kennington. Kennington's the, um, is this, was the suburb where I lived in London at the time. And so I kind of thought there's mileage in in these characters. Um, and I was, I was, at the time I was in my early 30s, I was the archetypal single girl, much like the Sex and the City characters. Um, in terms of, you know, I at the time I was working in investment banking. I lived in central London, so I had a sort of work hard, play hard life. Um, so, so yeah, I kind of could see all these elements coming together, and that's that's where Tales of the Countess came from. But but yeah, the bags talk; they're part of the story. They're part of her support network. Um, but it's definitely for adults. My mum used to say, is it a children's book? I'm like, no, mum, it's not children's. It's not Fifty Shades of Grey, but it's not children's, you know? <laughs> oh, my goodness. So <clears throat> so each of these inanimate objects have their own personalities and uh, quirkiness to them. Yeah, they do. And, you know, when you st- when I started writing i mean that's the joy of writing you know as writers we all go through is when your characters literally come alive on the page because whilst the bags were real and they had the names that they have in the book um it was only when i started writing that they developed personalities so one's quite bitchy one's quite wise one's a real girly girl and she just wants the countess to be happy with her man and you know so they developed those personalities as i was writing on the page but uh but yeah they they did exist in 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 real life first (laughs) oh my goodness now what was that feeling coming back to it after you you worked on it for a while and then you sat it down and it took about nine years you said what was that feeling coming back to it Uh, and how big were the changes that you made to it if any well I did do a lot when I when I parked it I had um I'd had you know I was on about draft six or seven and draft six I really liked and someone had give me some feedback and said no you need to change it like this this and this um and that was draft seven and I broke it this was back in 2008 I got two-thirds of the way through and I'm like this doesn't work anymore and that, that's when I popped I'd run out of steam I, I was wasn't single at that point I'd met the man who's now my husband um, and so I always liked what I called the penultimate draft and I always used to say you know if I get hit by a bus you know 
get 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 the penultimate draft off my computer and give it to, give it to my friends so they can read it. And then it was 2016, and I thought, you know what? I don't have to be dead to do this. I, I can get this off my computer and revisit it myself. <laughs> and so I read both of those drafts, and I went through all the fear that I talk about on Gentle Creative website because it even it it was it they did have a scary edge to to read them and I had to coax myself the tips you'll read on my website I had to do that myself I'm like well what's the first task Callie well I need to go and buy some more paper okay go and buy some paper right now put that in your printer and print out the first the, the penultimate draft now print out the other one you know I had to baby myself through those initial steps and then I read both of them and the draft that I didn't like had a lot of merit and I could see it had improved in some places and I kind and I knew that probably the answer was between the two drafts so then I yeah then I took a year and and did did that and then I had some beta readers look at it and they basically liked it but they made again some suggestions um so then I did that and then that was just over a year ago and and then I and then I had made the decision how to publish it and then I hired a professional editor um, and again, she had some feedback that I needed to fix as well. So it's, you know, it was, it's just been an ongoing thing. But it, but it, the benefit, I think, of that time was, A, I knew more because I'd written something else in the meantime. I'd learned a lot more about story structure. Um, but, yeah, I think I was a little bit more detached from it. It wasn't my baby in the same way. So I could, I could do what needed to be done to, to make it good enough to put it out there. Oh, my goodness. See, and this that was... Uh somewhat similar to myself. I'd been working on my first one around 2010, 2011. And then at the time I was in Japan and then we exited the military. We came to Missouri and settled down and, you know, that big change and then learning a new job and such. I didn't, I didn't make myself the time. I was like, Oh no, I, I have no time for that now. And uh, several years later, when I found out I was going to be a grandpa the first time, I was like, Oh, I'm going to get old and I haven't done the things I wanted to do. So I got serious about writing again and found out about a local uh, writing club. And so I same kind of, same kind of thing. I printed off what I had and very first meeting, I took it with me because I didn't know what to expect. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was only a few of us at the time. And, and they said, Oh good. You brought something with you to read. And uh, you know, do you want to go ahead and read it? And I'm like, Oh my goodness. <laughs> Daunting, right? <laughs> So, okay, I'm serious about this. Let's let's go ahead and do it. And so I'm read it, and it was such a relief to hear that. Yeah, I've got something there, and I just read like the beginning of it, the first chapter, and and they said, yeah, no, you've got something there. We're excited. We can't wait to hear more. Here's what what you'd want to fix and and uh, change it, and such a relief. And it was it really energized me for the next couple of years, finishing the rest of the story, and then cutting what had to be cut and putting it together. Yeah, it just takes time, doesn't it? And and I think there's definitely a benefit to going back to something because I think you do see it with new eyes as well. You're less buried in it. Yes, yes. And I've I've reached that point now where with my current works, if I'll put something down for just a little while and work on something else for a few weeks, um, either I'll have that, uh, that aha moment yeah. <laughs> when I'm working on something else. Oh, I know how that's going to work now on this other story. Or if I go back and pick it up and I'm reading through, I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, you know what? I know what's supposed to happen next and go from there. Yeah. Now, did you plot out this book or do you like to just kind of uh, see your pants? I was a pantser when I started to write it. Um, I just wrote what I had. Um, in a, it was quite an incoherent first draft, the very first draft. And then you get to the end of it and you read it and you think, 
now I know when it needs to be and I literally like threw that away and started again but you have to sort of go through that layering process um after after two or three drafts I did take a, a story structure course a guy called John Truby um he has this 22 step story structure process um so at that point then I did take what I had and, and put it through that sort of that structure process um so it, yeah it's been a mixture over the years I think sometimes you have to write what you have because um, I've got the mm. first draft of a sequel of this which I am now at the point I need to get back and you know and do more work on that but when I was writing that last year I kind of spent just a couple of months again just writing notes writing what I had journaling as the characters just just in a very low pressure just throwing down whatever I had and then I could see kind of a story there and then um, John Truby's now published a book on his sort of method so then I went through that and then that gives you you come out if you do the exercises in that book you basically come out with a list of like 70 or 80 scenes um, and, and it so structurally it is then quite good um, and then, yeah, pop those into Scrivener um, and then just start then writing each scene. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to getting back to that, actually, um, because I did sort of a first draft of it last summer. And then and then I've just been so focused um, on the publishing and I'm doing a final edit on this book and doing, you know, doing the stuff I need to do to publish and now market it. But I'm really looking forward to getting back to, yeah, get back to some writing. Which yeah, which probably does is a more structured approach now. That is that is so exciting to hear you say that there's going to be a sequel. I was going to ask you about that because it's I, I, I've been looking into this, you know, leading up to our interview, and it seems to have a lot of uh, a lot of build up. A lot of people just absolutely adoring the storyline. So I was hoping to hear that you had a uh, have a sequel to it. So what's what's that like to go back into this world? Um, well, I don't ask me in about three weeks' time when, I, um, when I've got time planned to do it. I'm a sort of yeah, just doing this sort of this purge of of marketing and 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 talking to people like your good self to see if I can come on their their podcast. Um, so I, I mean, so I I basically I wrote the sequel, the first draft of it in between finishing my edits of the book and the time it took the editor to read it because I knew once the editor gave it back to me, there'd be work to do again. So I. So, so I sort of, and it really is a crappy first draft. Uh, I know it will take a lot of work. I'm not a quick writer. I'm not one of these writers who can put out a book every six months. I'm in awe of those people. Um, so, but I just plonked it down on the page. Very rough. I know there's, you know, I know it's going to take a lot of work. Um, but yeah, I, but I'm really looking forward to getting back to it because I haven't, yeah, I haven't done big writing for for a few months. I had some changes to make sort of last so it was about a year ago the editor gave this Tales of Countess the first book back to me and there was a little bit of tweaking I had to do and that took me about three or four months um so yeah I'm, I'm just looking forward to getting back in and you know and again over the last year you know you, you might do this I listen to podcasts and tips of writing and other writers mm. and what I read and and I'm looking forward to putting that all back into practice again and seeing and figuring it all out and yeah, making sure I can come up with something which is a you know a great follow-up story oh wonderful oh, I'm looking forward to it I can't wait to dive into this myself and it, it's it just like I said it just it looks incredibly lovely and uh, a lot of fun where can uh, where can people find and follow you Okay, so I am on Twitter um, at Callie Bird. So Callie is C-A-L-I, um, Bird, B-I-R-D. Um, 
And then if you're interested in the creative process yourself, then my website is gentlecreative.com. If you want to see a little bit more about the book, uh, if you want to buy the book, please buy the book. Um, <laughs> then, you know, on Amazon or Goodread, the book is wide. You can buy it anywhere that you buy books. Um, and also caliber.com. There's a little bit in there. And there's, there's a bit of background and a Q&A and stuff about the book if you want to look a bit more behind the scenes of it on, on caliber.com. Wonderful. Wonderful. And of course, as always, everybody uh, listening, we will have links to all of that in the show notes. So make sure you click those links when you're done. Uh, don't go yet. Don't go yet. Listen to this this chapter that you're about to hear so that you have a taste of what to expect. But I know you're going to want to click on the links afterwards and get on over there. Check out Tales of the Contest. Callie, thank you so, so much for making some time to come on the show. I'm so happy to have had you here. Oh, well, thank you. And again, th thank you for having me. It's so lovely that, you know, that I could come on and, and chat with you and, and yeah, and do a read. And I'm, I'm very grateful myself. <laughs> well, ladies and gentlemen, it's time for me to sit back and enjoy my cup of coffee because it's still early here in Missouri and uh, afternoon over there in the UK. But I'm going to sit back with my coffee and enjoy this upcoming chapter from our guest, Callie Bird, with Tales of the Countess. Thank you very much. I'm going to read the first chapter. It's called Prelude. The Countess was dancing on a podium on a stage in X-ray. She wore a gold lame halter neck top, a short charcoal coloured skirt and black overknee boots. Her arms were above her head, moving in time to the pounding techno beat. The crop top revealed her slender midriff. Tucked into the waistband of her skirt was a six inch square fake fur leopard print bag. Lost in the pulse of the music and the atmosphere of the club, she danced away for two more tracks. As the vibe of the music slowed, she decided it was time for a drink. After running her hands through her hair and wiping the sweat from her forehead, she sat on the edge of the podium and swung her feet onto the floor of the stage. Her hand touched the bag to make sure it was still lodged in her skirt. Then she pushed her way through the gyrating bodies, down the steps and made her way around the edge of the main dance floor. On the way, she spotted her friend Marie and made a gesture that she was going for a drink. Marie nodded. Still dancing, she started moving towards the Countess. You okay? She mouthed as she got closer. The Countess nodded and shouted, Fucking brilliant! Let's get a drink! The girls were regulars at X-Way and fully agreed with a recent Time Out article where it was listed as one of the top 10 London clubs in 1998. They made a beeline into a gap at the long bar which ran along the back of the club. The Countess took the leopard print bag out from her skirt and held it by the handles. She was standing next to a man in a white t-shirt, easily 10 years her junior. Cool bag, he shouted. I was watching you dancing. You're pretty wild. Thanks. He's my pussy, said the Countess as she turned to face him. Would you like to stroke him? She offered the bag to the young man. He put his right hand out towards the bag, then hesitated. Go on, said the Countess. He doesn't bite. It's a he, said the man as he stroked the bag. Yes, said the Countess. He's called Pussy Original. My friend here bought him for me one Christmas. I can't believe you go around asking people to stroke your pussy, said the man laughing. The Countess shrugged. Why not? As you say, he's a cool bag. Ten hours later, the Countess awoke. She was sprawled across her bed, fully clothed. A chink of the midday sunshine shone through a gap in the curtains, making a long diamond shape on her wardrobe door. The outfits that she had tried on and rejected the previous evening lay scattered around her bed. Bugger, she said as she came to. Still half asleep, she took off her boots and her clothes. 
She pulled back the quilt, got into bed, and grabbed her teddy bear, who had been sitting on the other pillow. She snuggled with the bear and slept for another two hours. Next time she woke, feeling very dry in the mouth, she turned over and groped around on her bedside table for a glass of water, nearly knocking it over. Had it been full, it would have sloshed everywhere. She lifted her head and drank what remained in the glass. Then she sat up, got out of bed and staggered to the bathroom. She looked in the mirror, licked her finger and tried to wipe away the previous night's mascara that was smudged under her eye. She took a breath inwards, stared at herself and slowly shook her head. Back in her bedroom, the leopard print bag, Pussy Original, had bounced up onto the bed to where the teddy bear lay. The bear was a medium-sized brown bear with a dusky purple-coloured ribbon around his neck. He had recently come into the Countess's possession, having been a gift from one of her colleagues in New York. She had been given him when she finished her assignment at S.C. Radcliffe, one of the world's biggest investment banks. For this reason, she had called him American Ted, though there was nothing particularly American about him. He spoke and carried himself in exactly the same way as the finest of English teddies. Looks like it was a rough night, said American Ted. You can say that again, said Pussy Original. Boy, can she drink. Probably stores it in those long legs of hers. The Countess once had Yellow Ted, who was very old and battered. One day, he was swept away in the linen at a five-star hotel when she was on a business trip and was never seen again. At the time, she figured it was a sign for her to grow up and find a decent man with whom she could share her bed. However, that plan had still not come to fruition. So when American Ted came into her life, she was secretly overjoyed. Do you think she'll ever settle down? asked American Ted. I'm sure she'd love to, said Pussy Original, but it never worked out with the MSL in New York. So she's still clubbing, drinking too much and chatting up the wrong man. The MSL, said American Ted. Let's see if I've got this straight. He's called Ed, the one she used to work with. That's him, replied Pussy Original. The MSL was an abbreviation that the Countess had concocted with Marie. At the time, both of them were suffering unrequited love. And both used to jokingly refer to these men as the man I love and want to marry. They rolled the two men up into one imaginary character and named it in the third person, the man she loves and wants to marry. That got shortened to the man she loves, which got shortened to the MSL. Marie eventually got to go out with her MSL, but he developed an aversion to spending any quality time with her. So she dumped him. That left the Countess still pining for hers. But she doesn't work there anymore, said American Ted. That's why I'm here. So will she ever see him again? Who knows, said Pussy Original. I think she was hoping for a fairy tale ending when she had her leaving drinks in New York. You know, where she fell into his arms at the end of the night and it was all stars and roses. Didn't happen, though. Oh, no wonder she's hurting, said American Ted. She's cried a couple of times at night. I bet that's why. Yep, she's hurting bad, said Pussy Original. That's why it's great to have you around. She needs a teddy. Our old one kept her on the straight and narrow and frequently patched her up and put her back together when she fell apart. We have to look after the Countess. To the outside world, she is a beautiful, fantastic and lively businesswoman. But we see what's really going on in her life and it ain't pretty. Oh God, said American Ted. I'm going to have my work cut out to look after this owner. You said it, Ted, replied Pussy Original. There you go. That was Kelly Bird reading a sample chapter from her new book, Tales of the Countess, which was so much fun to listen to. I have this book 
I'm getting ready to dive into it myself and I know you're going to want to do the same. So click that link in the show notes so you can pick up a copy for yourself, learn more about Callie and everything that she has to offer. Don't forget to also click the link for our podcast friends and sponsors alike and hit that subscribe button so you don't miss out next time when we're back with a brand new author, a new book, and an all new sample chapter. Take care, everybody. Keep being nice to each other, and we'll see you again real, real soon. This has been a presentation of the Project Entertainment Network.